Hi and welcome back to Police Stories Podcast. I'm Dave and this is episode 12 of a series of short stories about uh, my 28-year career in the UK police force. So today we'll get straight into it. This incident is um, probably one of the more unusual ones, as you'll hear. I think I've said before that on-response policing, you know, uniform policing, people, in the public and police, kind of tend to look down perhaps on that response role, you know, that <clears throat> sort of base role, your sin is a bit of a plod, you know, and kind of perhaps you haven't got great aspirations and why haven't you been promoted and why haven't you moved on to a specialist unit or whatever. The reality is lots of people spend their entire career on uniform policing, you know, answering the 999 calls. You cannot get more variety. People say, oh, you know, I like variety in my job because it's different every day. Honestly, response policing is that. You know, it just is so, so varied and people call you for just the weirdest things. And this was one of those calls. So it was on a night shift. There wasn't an awful lot happening. Um, it was early hours of the morning. It was sort of two or three in the morning. And a call comes in from an air hostess. Remembering I was based initially quite near um, Gatwick Airport. So had a lot of hostesses that sort of lived uh, on our areas. Um, and uh, yeah, so the call comes in and basically she's terrified. She's on the phone, she's on the nines absolutely petrified beside herself, doesn't know what's going on, just knows she was woken up by her cat, which let out some horrible sort of uh, wailing, screaming noise or whatever, completely freaked her out and the cat looked really shocked, uh, apparently. Um, it was sort of, there was something in the bedroom or, or she felt someone in the bedroom in her, in her small flat. She just got back from a long haul flight, basically dumped her case a travel case on the ground, opened it up, gone to bed, absolutely knackered, you know, really tired from her long flight. Goes to bed, gets woken up within an hour or two by this cat making this noise and sort of leaping about the bedroom. So she doesn't know what's going on, but she's retreated out of the bedroom with the cat. Um, and uh, yeah, she's basically terrified. So have no idea what we're going to, which is quite often the case. I mean, they're the, they're the fun ones in some respects because... Uh, you know, so you just don't know what's going to happen. It's interesting that, uh, you know, in some respects, they're the worst ones as well, because your mind can, you know, race away with itself, as it probably had with hers, you know, of all these terrible things it, it, it was going to be, you know, almost certainly in her mind, it was, you know, an axe murderer, classic, you know, on a film on the telly, withered axe, you know, blood dripping off the axe, and all that. in reality was it was probably nothing like that at all. But anyway, that was the call we had. So we turn up, fairly small flat within a another couple of flats, uh, quite a quiet night from what I remember to say, not a lot going on. Now that's a word we never use in the police on duty. You'll be really badly thought of if you ever say to a cop, quiet night, quiet day, how's it going? Literally, you'll get a dirty look. Cops on duty, and I think other emergency services, ambulance, etc., are similar, never ever say the Q word. That's as much as we'll go because that is the kiss of death. The moment somebody says quiet night, or isn't it quiet tonight, etc., the world just explodes. Every sort of strange call you've ever heard of comes out of the woodwork. Um, so yeah, it's never a quiet night. The worst we get maybe is quite cue tonight. And even that's sort of frowned upon because you are definitely asking for trouble. Anyway, turn up at the flat. So there was, the reason, because it was not much happening, I won't use that word, um, 
I think two cars had turned up, so there was four of us, including the sergeant. So there was me and a PC, similar sort of service to me, police constable. Um, then there was the sergeant and another PC, so two cars. So we go up to this flat. I think it was first floor. So amazingly, I've always told you calls are at the always the top flat, but actually I believe this one was the first floor. So we go up to the the flat, and she tells us, look, you know what's happened. She, I don't know what it is. Or more importantly, kind of who it is. I'm convinced there's someone in the room. So's the cat. You know, it's acting really weird. She kept going about this cat. You know, uh, like it was psychic or something. And um, okay, right, we'll go and take a look. And we think, to be honest with you, you know, she's had a drink, perhaps, or you know, she's so tired, she's hallucinating or seeing things. This is probably rubbish. You know, so um, the sergeant says, you know, steps up and says, I'll, I'll. Um, you know, I'll go and have a look, don't be silly, you know, so we're in the little corridor, the door opens, sergeant kind of nonchalantly goes walking into the room, now the light was off, <laughs> which was uh, not unusual, being the early hours, in the bedroom, he turns his torch on, which I thought was a little bit strange, but he turns his torch on, he kind of goes creeping into the room, very small room, basically double bed, slidey wardrobe, you know, pretty much a couple of bedside you know tables that's about it basically there's hardly anything in this room and her flight bag on the floor which you can see is open so sergeant goes walking off in there with his torch we're all expecting him to come out and say no nothing going on you know that that's it um it might you must have been mistaken there's nothing in there so he has a look under the bed gets down on his hands and knees bends over with a torch has a look under the bed no nothing under there no axe murderers hiding under there so that's good um and then basically all that's left is in, in the room is, is this flight bag, you know. So he goes over to this and he kind of nonchalantly, uh, and we're behind him, you know, out in the sort of corridor looking through into the, the bedroom so we can see him vaguely moving around in there. Um, he kind of nonchalantly moves the bag with his foot, at which point he jumps about six foot in the air and lets out this kind of blood-curdling scream, you know, and, and immediately retreats back, you know, and we're like, and comes running out the room. So we're like, what's the matter? You know, what did you see? We couldn't see anything. So I say, there's really very limited choices of what are available in this room, you know, what's going to happen. So he's like, what's happened? What have you seen, you know? And uh, he, he's really, you know, quite shaken up and his heartbeat's obviously going because you can hear it in his voice, the adrenaline, which is very obvious when people are super stressed, you know, and uh, he says, it's a snake, it's a snake, you know, so this, an orange snake, you know, and we're kind of like, a snake? you sure orange snake you know uh thinking at this point the sergeant's been drinking you know he's like no i'm telling you snake around there you know long hissy and all the rest of it and originally he says you know it's a couple of feet long uh it's a bit like one of those sort of dodgy fisherman's tails because i think it started off as you know two feet long by the time he got back to the nick it was probably you know a meter that evening by the time it's been per passed on to the next shift yeah this thing's like a three meter anaconda you know but Anyway, so he is absolutely adamant there is a snake in there. Now, I must admit, you know, the police is good for wind-ups. There's there's a lot of wind-ups happen. And myself and my colleague were, you know, very young in service still, probationers with, I don't know, a year in or something. So I was pretty confident he was on the wind-up and this was going to be some big, massive joke, of which we had some good ones in the police and we'll come on to those another day. Some of them fairly inappropriate. Uh, but uh, so me and my pal go, decide to go and have a look. Now, unfortunately, uh, for that sergeant, the one thing that scared him more than anything in the world was was snakes. You know, uh, as a kid, that you know, there's always something in there. Some people have either ghosts or whatever. For me, it was always werewolves. You know, obviously we know they're real. 
you know, obviously not, but that was always a thing as a kid. So anything like that, and even to this day, you know, my wife and what have you will still wind me up and take the mickey out of things like that. So anyway, me and my pal decide we're going to go and have a look for ourselves. And the sergeant's kind of a gibbering wreck at this point. He's like, sure, go and have a look for yourself because we're pretty disbelieving, actually. So me and my colleague, same thing. The room's dark. He turns his torch on and we go creeping off into this room. And we're kind of stepping really slowly. And then it hit me. It was so ridiculous. I said to him, why have you got your torch on? And I was, there's a perfectly good light there. Why are we creeping around the dark with torches on? It's ridiculous. So I flicked the light on and he also realised how stupid it was, but also picked me up on a fair point and was like, why are you whispering? And I was like, I don't know. Perhaps in our mind, you know, snakes had couldn't see in the dark and wouldn't hear us coming if we were quiet. I mean, it was so honestly, this was really quite comical all around this call. It was all a bit ridiculous. So now the light is on and we can see we don't need our torches is, and we're speaking at a normal level. Pretty convinced we're not going to find anything. So anyway, same thing. We have a quick look around. No, nothing there. By now, the cat's come back in with us. Now, this thing is looking like something out of a horror movie itself. It basically looks like it's been wetted down, blow-dried with all its hair directly sticking up and then kind of hairsprayed or gelled into position. It was walking around permanently with a surprised look on its face with its hair sticking straight up in the air, which was seemingly a bit odd. And it's now come in and it's wandering around with us, kind of making this low kind of moany noise and doing its sort of toilet brush impression while it's walking around with us. So we go wandering around and sure enough, we get up. Uh, my pal, who's just like in front of me, uh, moves the, the flight case again with his foot. And sure enough, there is about a two foot long, quite bright orange snake. And it had, uh, I'm certainly no snake expert. I know very little about them. But it had kind of orange blocks going down its body along with another darker colour. So it was like orange, darker colour, orange, darker colour in a series of stripes. I mean, it looked quite impressive. I'm not worried by snakes particularly, but obviously this was very much an unknown. So we were both looked at each other, were quite shocked. It wasn't doing a lot. It was just kind of laying there. It wasn't like it was, you know, leaping at our throats or anything. But sure enough, we had confirmed there was definitely a snake in there, bizarrely. So the first thing is, and probably the first question we should have asked, uh, we retreat out of the room again. And uh, although without the uh, high-pitched uh, girl-like scream that the sergeant had admitted. Um, and we said to those, says, I take it you haven't got a pet snake, you know? And she's like, nope, I definitely haven't got a pet snake. So I said, well, where have you just flown back from? She said, well, I've just got in from Long Haul. I was in Brazil. So like, okay, right. Now, remember this is the days before the internet and, well, obviously the internet was there, but certainly before we didn't have phones that, you know, you could look at the internet on. We had your basic... Nokia, I can play Snake on my phone, that's it, you know, it makes a phone call, it might send a text if you're lucky, but that's it, you know, there's no checking internet or anything. Um, so we had to rely on the control room for everything. They did a fantastic job, they're absolutely your lifeline um, to everything, and I can tell you that voice is really comforting. A lot of the time, you know, I might have worked with a particular controller in a control room for 20 years and have never ever met them, I just hear their voice every night, you know, it's... Um, it's a bit of a weird one, but as I say, they're, they're so well thought of. 
and um, in your darkest moments, you know, these are the person you speak to. So they do become very much a, a friend, even if it's only verbally. Um, most of them are brilliant, of course, like cops and in every other job, some aren't so good. You know, um, it's always nice if they've got local knowledge of the area because they can direct you. Oh, no, I think the place you're looking for is just up here or whatever. But more and more these days, they're relying on a, a computer screen themselves just to look at a map and say, well, it looks like it's the next left, but I don't know the area, you know. So... Anyway, I'm digressing. We call the uh, control room on the radio and say, you're not going to believe this. You know, there is a snake in this woman's bedroom. And we loosely describe it, you know, two foot long, slithery, hisses a lot, uh, orange. And it wasn't black. It was certainly dark. It was orange and, and darker color, stripy. Um, we have no clue. Do you have some sort of, you know, snake expert on the phone? Because actually the control room in those days had a big book of, you know, um, weird and wonderful people that you could call on in this scenario. You know, we've had things where, you know, we've seen a wild boar, right? There's a wild boar export, expert, you know, so people are kind of looking down the list in this book. Oh, yeah, wild boar expert. Sure enough, the control room come back saying, yes, we have got a snake expert on the books. Um, we'll give them a call. Remembering it's two or three in the morning here. So that's what happened. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a small delay. We've closed the door. The cat has come out. We've closed the door. And um, and that was that. So by now, then the night duty inspector is also coming out because obviously this is a pretty unusual call. This isn't the sort of thing you go to all the time. So the inspector's come out to have a look as well. So uh, he turns up and about the same time he turns up, um, the uh, control room come back to us on the radio and say, right, we've managed to get hold of, it took a bit of time because of the time of day, but we've managed to get hold of this snake expert. We've told them, um, what you've said and they're willing to come out but they live about you know half an hour away so they're traveling to you they've got to get up and get to you um, but they are en route but you've got about half an hour away so I said okay and they said just out of interest you might want to know um, that he basically we described the snake to him and he came back and said that it's two possibles just from the description um, presumably there are many more possibles but in, in his mind there were basically two possibles for this snake the first is it's a completely harmless corn snake that will do you no harm at all. Perhaps maybe looks impressive, has bright colours, which I know that in sort of nature that can mean, you know, bad things, but um, it will do you no harm at all. The other option, now I'm trying to remember what they said, and I'm pretty sure it was some form of coral snake. <clears throat> um, so very similar sounding to a corn snake, but apparently completely different. And we were warned that, Snake expert says if uh, this was uh, a coral snake, and it was it was another name, it was something coral snake. If it's a whatever coral snake, then they are deadly. You know, kind of one bite, or uh, and the, you know, like it was. We were told all these terrible things. You know, instant paralysis, and you know, you'll never walk again, and you know, heart failure, and you know, you name it. We were told all these terrible things. So like, okay, right, not that keen on going near this thing then. Um, so we thought, fair enough, we'll, half an hour, we'll wait. So, as I say, the inspectors turn up about this time. Now, for some reason, the inspector, who was a fairly new inspector, decided that it's best, you know, we don't know where this thing is, it's in the room somewhere, and rather than just leaving it now to the snake expert, which to me was the common sense thing to do, he decided that we should go in and corner it, you know, and have it know exactly where it is so that when the snake expert turns up, he can just go straight to it and deal with it. 
I don't really know why, because why are we putting ourselves on offer, potentially at risk with this, you know, maybe policeman killer snake, when we can just leave it and leave it to the expert. No, he's inspector, he decides, ah, oh, but I don't expect you to go in yourself. I've got some shields in the car. Now, uh, quite often, uh, a car, a police car, and certainly a police van would carry at least two sort of shields, riot shields. There's various different types. You get what's called a short shield, which is the kind of uh, round, sort of gladiator style, um, heavy duty plastic shield that you'd put on your arm. And then you get a slightly bigger, I think it's called an intermediate shield that may be, uh, I don't know, four feet long or something like that. Um, and uh, you'd have a couple of those and they have special edges that lock together. So you can make almost like a centurion style where these riot shields lock together. And then finally you get a much bigger style. I can't remember what they're called, but they're very tall. They're literally about six or seven foot tall with a slightly curved upper edge to deflect, you know, bricks and things like that, should you find yourself in a riot scenario. But we quite often carry, to say, a couple of shields in a car because if you turned up to a job that maybe had, you know, um, the aforementioned mad axeman, uh, this was the days before Taser and generally there wasn't firearms cops about, you know, we didn't even have um, sort of parva spray, pepper spray, CS, none of that. Um, it was basically a uh, either a small wooden truncheon or possibly a, a side-handled uh, baton if you were lucky. So invariably, if you're going to a knife job, you would take a shield with you probably because it would just give you that little bit of extra chance. Certainly the units coming to back you up would carry them. So we all carried shields. So the inspector had two of the intermediate shields, sort of four foot long clear plastic shields that you can see through. And they have two handles on the back that you can hold them up in front of you. Um, now, in some respects, they were unpopular because if you were getting bricks and things thrown at you, then um, unfortunately it left your kind of head and and sort of from your shins down to your feet exposed. But invariably, if you were on a riot team, you would be wearing leg protectors and steel toe cap boots and things. So you would have some protection. Uh, and that, but they were a lot more mobile because they were shorter. So it was a it was a mixed bag. You know, some people liked them, some didn't. I don't think they were designed for herding snakes, um, and that's what they were being called on for the, for this day. So Inspector goes down, gets these two shields, picks the two youngest and stupidest cops there, which was me and my colleague, and says, "Right, oh, I want you to go into this room, and I want you to um, you know to corner this snake." You know, I was thinking, what are we going to do? Give it a right good talking to? You know, I'm not a snake whisperer. So the decision was made, we're going to go in, we're going to basically herd it with the shield so that it can't get us into the corner and then we'll just wait. Because by now another 15 minutes has passed and within sort of 15 minutes, snake experts should be with us. So, okay, right, we'll do what we're told. I'm not convinced it's a lawful order if you pushed it, but, you know, we were young and so it was like, yeah, we'll do whatever we're told because we're young and stupid, so... Um, we go into the room, the lights are on, Cat's kept out of the way this time, he's not stupid, um, and we've locked the shields together, so we've got our two intermediate shields locked together, but bearing in mind there's about a two-foot gap at the bottom. We're holding these shields out in front of us. We've had to go through the door initially individually because you can't get through the door, you know, you're like a dog with a stick otherwise trying to push your way through the door with two shields locked together. So... We go into the room individually, we lock the shields together and we kind of advance like centurions, you know, holding our shields out in front of us, not quite sure how this snake is going to react and also wondering why the hell are we doing this. Um, so we go in, keep pushing forward. The inspector's just behind us as well. Um, 
we get up to the flight case. Now we can't see the snake, which is worse than being able to see it because of course you're convinced it's creeping up behind you at this point. Um, and uh, it was like something from a comedy show, honestly it was, you know, these two two cops in the early hours wandering around with their shields after a snake. Um, so anyway, we moved the flight case uh, and it's not, they still can't see the snake. So we, we are getting increasingly nervous as we move around this room. Um, and the only thing left in this room was, I think it was a piece of clothing or a towel or something like that in the corner of the room. There was literally nothing else apart from the bed in this case, which we'd already moved the case and it wasn't there. Um, so we approached this this piece of clothing that was on the floor and we put the shields down on the floor and my colleague puts his hand around uh, the edge of the shield to try and protect himself, gets hold of the edge of this fabric and a bit, a bit like a magician kind of whips it away quickly. <clears throat> and sure enough, there is the snake underneath this item. Presumably it's getting cold or wants to hide, it's had enough of toilet brush cat wandering around and moaning at it and a succession of strange cops screaming like girls and running around in front of it. So this snake is there, but now it's really not happy. In fact, it's fairly pissed off. It, it is, I wouldn't say it's like a cobra and it's like extended up, but it's certainly now raised itself up into quite an aggressive position. Luckily, the shields were on the floor in front of it. So it had about a kind of four foot wide uh, plastic screen in front of it with us behind it, but it kind of raises up slightly. And almost as soon as we whip away the um, the the actual piece of fabric that it was underneath, it raises up and it actually strikes at least twice, maybe three times at the shields, um, like it's trying to you know get us. <laughs> uh, at which time we're fairly alarmed now because you can quite clearly see there is some clear fluid on the back of the shield. So in my mind, you know, this is venom or whatever. And of course, it's running through your mind now. Is this the harmless corn snake, you know, or is this the deadly policeman killer coral snake? You know, we don't know. And again, it, I'm thinking, why on earth are we here? Um, so initially, the inspector whose voice has now got quite high, I can tell you, is like, push it into the corner, push it into the corner, you know. So we try and advance a bit, but all the, this thing doesn't move, but it does strike another couple of times. And we're basically getting nowhere with this thing. You know, it's not going back. We're not going forward. We're, we're serving absolutely no purpose. And I think the sort of ridiculousness of the situation dawned finally on the inspector, who, like some big military commander, you know, at a huge battle was kind of like, retreat, retreat, you know, and this isn't a recognised thing, but obviously everyone understands it. And we, we just wanted to get out there, quite frankly. So still facing a snake, still with our shields locked together. We left it to it basically and retreated backwards out of the room, uh, having to unlock our shields to get out through the door again. But uh, we closed the door and everyone's kind of a bit stressed at this point and, and the inspector's like, right, I think we'll just leave it. We'll just wait for the snake expert. And everyone's like, why didn't we just do that in the first place? You know, that was the sensible thing to do. Anyway, you're the inspector. So, um, so that was it. So we waited for, for Mr. Snake Expert. Sure enough, within kind of now 10 minutes or so, he turns up, thankfully, says, okay, what does this thing look like? And says, well, it looks like this, and, uh, you know, described it to him. And where is it? Well, it's in that room. It was in the corner, blah, blah. He's like, okay, he seems completely unfussed. Meanwhile, um, the sergeant, who really doesn't like snakes, is now noticeably at the back, and he's pretty much a gibbering wreck. So uh, 
snake expert, you know, the light's still on, he just opens the door, walks in, says, oh, yes, I see the issue. Says to the hostess, have you got a spare pillowcase? She's like, yeah. Passes him a, a pillowcase. He puts his hand in the pillowcase. He unceremoniously walks up to the snake and says, oh, yeah, not to worry. It's just a corn snake. No, you know, not harmful in any way. So we're like, okay, right. <laughs> um, he just walks up, hand in the pillowcase, grabs the snake very quickly by the sort of back of its neck so it can't get him and then pulls the pillowcase inside out on itself, ties it in a knot and kind of walks out of the room, in which case everybody is avoiding him like he's on fire. It might be harmless, but, you know, this thing's still obviously wriggling around in the bag, so people are like, whoa, is he coming near and backing off? And he said, no, no, it's nothing to worry, honestly. That's fine, you know. Um, I'll put this to the rehoming centre. It'll make a good pet for someone. Um, and he was like, it's lucky it wasn't one of those, whatever it was, coral snakes, he said, because they really are dangerous, you know. So we're like, okay, um... So that was that. We solved the snakes on a plane. Well, not quite on a plane, in, in a small flat maybe. But yeah, one of the more bizarre calls. Uh, now, I said to you at the beginning that police do like a wind-up, that's for sure. Um, and I can tell you that it was definitely not lost on anyone just how high-pitched and how scared the sergeant had been of this particular snake, or of any snake, in fact. A little bit unfair, because like I say, we all have things that terrify us remember the werewolves which are real um and uh, but i can tell you that for about the next five years of this particular sergeant's career every time he opened a drawer or looked in his desk or got in a police car late at night there was a rubber snake you know in there <laughs> designed uh and he would definitely be heard every now and then to let out a little shriek as he opened said drawer or got in the car um, it was not lost on anyone at all of just how worried he was about snakes. So unfortunately, he was very much um, targeted in a fun way. Nowadays, they might call it bullying and perhaps somebody would put in some sort of employment tribunal claim. But at the time, it was taken for what it was and it was a bit of fun, you know. And uh, in the say, in the future, we'll talk about more of the Mickey takes that, that went on. Some of them were fantastic, uh, really, really good wind-ups. But that's for another day. So there we go, a uh, bit of a shorter one today, episode 12. Downloads have gone crazy this week, uh, best week I've had for, for people listening, so thank you for that. If it's your first time or if you've stuck with it from the beginning, I appreciate it. Uh, and as I say, it in, in, in continues to be uh, amazing as to from where in the world, which is literally everywhere, uh, all over the world, some you know really sort of far-flung far places. Uh, have listened in so that's really good uh, had some comments on the youtube as well don't forget you can go on police stories podcast on youtube obviously you can you can listen to it there as i try and put out one a week but you can um more importantly for me you can you know add comments if if you think you know it's good or if you don't or if you'd like to hear something or if you have a particular question if you want them longer shorter just let me know but uh that's that for this week then speak to you again soon take it easy thanks for listening cheers bye